coaching conversations are worth planning. They take up valuable time for both parties, so that time should be put to its most effective use. A good coaching conversation can improve relationships, performance, motivation, and results. Today, we are discussing a proven framework for coaching conversations to guide leaders effectively through the process. Welcome to the 90th Percentile, an unconventional leadership podcast by Zanger Folkman. Each week, using research from over 1.5 million global assessments of leaders, we analyze different leadership traits, trends, and what it really takes for leaders to get to the 90th percentile. I'm Brianna Corrin, and joining me today is author and executive coaching expert, Kathleen Stinnett. Now, Kathleen, I am so thrilled you were able to join me on the podcast today. For our listeners, I'm wondering if you can share a little about yourself and how you found your passion in coaching. Oh, wow. Well, this goes back many years. I was working in training and development at an organization, and I created a program that helped people identify what was really important to them, and then they crafted action plans to make these plans happen. And a couple years after that, I had a boss that asked me, what are you really passionate about? And I said, I reflected back to that time where I built this program that helps identify what really matters to people so that they could take action. And she said, well, that sounds like a coach. Why don't you go into coaching? And I had never even heard about this at the time, which was over 20 years ago. So I pursued a certificate in coaching And I have been a professional coach and coach educator for over 20 years now. So I love people. I love the messiness of them and the exquisiteness of them. And and I really have helped a lot of people. And, And one of my focus areas is leadership development, because leaders bring out the best in all the people that they touch. So, yeah, I've got a lot of passion in this area. (laughs) That's great. Now, when people are being promoted to a management position. One of the requirements is probably not, is this person a good coach? This is a specific skill that needs to be developed. So where do people go wrong when they start coaching conversations? Is it when they're Googling a random list of questions to ask or when they just try to wing it and hope that there's just a positive outcome from the conversation? Yeah, it's a great question. There's so many ways that we can go wrong, although all of it is done with good intentions. One of the things leaders struggle with the most is imagining that the way that they create the most value for employees is by giving them advice. And so if we think about coaching as a conversation that really allows the person being coached to sort through their issue, come up with their solution, come up with the right actions, I think one of the places where managers go wrong is by thinking they need to solve the problem for the person that they are coaching instead of taking a very different role in the conversation. So that's one thing that can happen. And then I think when we start conversations, if I am hearing what is being described as a problem to be solved, the problem solver in us gets activated. And now the manager says, oh, there's a problem to be solved. I know. Let me help. Instead of even pausing long enough to say, hello, employee, what would be the best way for me to help you with this issue? What would you like to accomplish in this conversation? 
because sometimes employees just want to run their ideas by the manager. They don't need the manager to weigh in. So I think it's both the framework of how do I view my role as coach? And secondly, when I start the conversation, to start with that question of what would be most useful here instead of assuming and then hearing whatever is being presented as a problem that I need to help solve. You and Jack Sanger developed a framework for coaching uh, that you wrote about in a book called The Extraordinary Coach. This model is called Fuel, and I love that you refer to it as a framework, not a cage. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yes, and I have to give credit where credit is due. One of our partners, Martin Coburn, gave me that phrase when he read <laughs> an early draft of the book, he said, oh, it's a, it's a framework, not a cage, meaning it's not meant to be prescriptive and rigid like a cage would be, which is then confining. But we offer the fuel process as a framework to follow, knowing that sometimes I'll be coloring within the lines and sometimes I'm coloring outside of the lines. And even though it's represented in a linear way, it's not followed in a linear fashion all the time. So let's get started. Step one is frame the conversation. Yes. And that goes back to that important question we just referred to. What is the most important thing for us to talk about? What would you like to accomplish in this conversation? So we're agreeing on the conversation we want to be in before we dive into the conversation. And it's, it's a contract. It's a contract for the conversation. And when we have a contract for the conversation, it moves the conversation away from either being a complaint or a chat. When I'm in coaching mode, my desire is to have a future focused action plan ultimately. And so we start by framing the conversation to say, where is the most important place to target right now? I like the way that you talked about, um, that is, it's so active and you involve the person being coached as you are framing this conversation that you, you know, don't go in with those expectations. And it really sets the stage for it to be more of a conversation. Like you were talking about, not a lecture of I'm going to teach you or I'm going to solve your problem. Right. And this, this leads to step two. And that was understand the current state. And this seems to involve a lot of good questions as I was reading through it. Yes. Yeah. And when we say the second step after we frame the conversation is to understand the current state, it implies that it's the coach that needs to understand the current state. And that's not really the most important part here. What the coach wants to do is ask those powerful questions to create more awareness about what's going on for the person being coached. So the key beneficiary of the second step is the coachee um, so that they have greater awareness about what's going on. Because oftentimes when I get stuck around something, I get stuck because my thinking has sort of stopped processing. I see it in just one way and now I don't know the way forward. So in this second step, we want the coach to act as an exploration guide to say, let me help you look at this situation from lots of different angles. And hopefully the person being coached then will see all sorts of other contributing factors to the problem or possibilities, 
when the coach does this step well. When I was reading through your framework, you talk about understanding the coach's point of view, uh, determine the consequences of continuing on the current path, and last is offer your perspective if appropriate. Do you think a lot of people just kind of jump in a little too fast, too soon um, with their own perspectives? Absolutely. And you will see that phrase, offer your perspective if appropriate, throughout the framework. In this second step, the understand the current state, the manager may in fact have a bigger framework or a bigger perspective that would be super helpful to share with the person they are being coached. So the coachee or the employee may not have the biggest picture of the impact or consequences of their actions or non-actions, and the manager may in fact have a perspective to offer. In general, though, Brianne, I think you're right, managers too often think it's my perspective that's going to be helpful here. So moving on to step three is explore the desired state. You want to identify the target and generate multiple paths to achieve the end state. How does this part of the conversation begin? Yeah, it sometimes begins with a simple question of what would you like to have happen here? Or what is the ideal that could happen right now that is still grounded in reality? We want to start by creating a vision of what's possible or what the person wants to have happen. And that ends up being the target that we aim for. And the reason we want to generate multiple possible ways forward is that research has shown that when you generate at least three alternatives, that the whole solution ends up being better, more robust, more thoughtful. And too often when we're asking, what's one way that you can make that vision happen, the person being coached says, well, I should have this conversation or I should take this one action. And the coach wants to say, that's a really good possibility. What else might help you get to that vision of success? And all of a sudden, we're expanding the world of possibilities. And somewhere in all of those possibilities will probably be a multifaceted way forward that the coachee can identify. I think what's so valuable in that step, like you talked about, is digging into the details of the expectations and these alternative paths and, and what are the barriers that are standing in the way. And by talking through all those things, it's going to lead to a better solution, like, like you said. Which brings us to the last step of FUEL, um, step four, which is to lay out the success plan. And there's definitely a right and a wrong way to do this. There are better ways to do this step. I don't know that there's a right and wrong way. Um, And the reason we called this step lay out a success plan is we truly want to encompass more than the action plan. Because we could say, lay out the action plan or design the action plan. But what we want to do is say, yes, what are the actions that you will take next that will help you move toward that desired vision? And then we also want to navigate what are our milestones for following up? Because when people are held accountable to their own desired action steps and somebody checks in with them later, the odds of them completing their desired action steps go up 250% one research study showed. So we also want to design, how am I following up with you? When else can we touch base? How will you know you're successful here? So it is both the actions and the follow-up. And 
I say the better way to do this step is to really get detailed. Instead of, if somebody says, gosh, I'm going to go have that conversation next week with Joe, my questions as a coach would be, what would you like to accomplish in that conversation? When will you have it? What do you need to do to prep for that? Is there anything that's going to make that hard? Anyone can support you in having that conversation. So I, I want to really turn up the heat, really, around the details of what will legitimately need to happen to make that one action step really real and valuable and useful. Is there any part of um, this framework that you think is the hardest for people or that they tend to skip over or not give the amount of time it needs to? It's a great question. We ask managers which of these steps is hardest. And I'd say the two or three themes that are pretty consistent. One, managers who aren't exposed to this framework tend not to frame the conversation. So they tend to just dive in instead of saying, what would you really like to accomplish here? So sometimes we're just not trained to have that first step. The, the last step, the milestones and the accountability and the following up, managers will say, gosh, why do I need to check in with somebody? Once they've identified their actions, they're adults. Why can't they just take care of it? Why do I need to check in? And so there is sort of a reluctance to do my part to also hold them accountable. But I think the biggest challenge is the one we've already talked about, which is managers just want to give advice and say, here's what I would do. Here's what you should do instead of really allowing the person to identify their own actions. So I think that's the biggest challenge. And that's sort of reflected in the entire process. Just to reiterate it, the FUEL framework once more, F stands for frame the conversation. U is understand the current state. E is explore the desired state. And L is lay out a success plan. Now, this last year has been life-changing for, for everyone. And I feel like coaching conversations over this last year probably have had a dramatic shift. Um, what changes have you seen in leaders approaches to coaching during a crisis and how can we do better at handling these sensitive and, and very important conversations? Yes, I think you're right, Brianne. Leaders have had to change their conversations over the last year because of all of the disruption that the pandemic has brought. And for so many people who we're in office environments and then working from home. What I have found is that leaders who have the courage to go into the conversation to truly meet the employee where they are and listen to, how is this for you? What is happening? How are you being affected by this? What do you miss the most? What losses have you had, including the loss of being with my coworkers or the loss of feeling like I'm valued because I'm not part of this team in an integral way as I used to be. So I would say for many leaders that have been thoughtful about this, they've had the more direct personal conversation. And and I think that for those people working at home and still working from home, the fact that we are on Zoom technology or other video-based technology, and I can see the kids in the background or the dog or the doorbell ringing, it has actually personalized these relationships more in a really positive way because we know that the whole person comes to work, not just the performer. And so the more that we can personalize the coaching, 
to include all of it, I think that that goes a long way to building that relationship where ultimately employees will flourish. Any other words of wisdom or coaching advice you would give to our listeners? Yes, one more. And I have to say this partly because I believe it to be true. I use this skill and practice. And it also is very representative of Zenger Folkman's model, which is this is a strength-based approach. The more that we can help our employees amplify the positive, find what's working, um, even those parts of ourselves that we want to change and get better, like maybe I'm a procrastinator. I always want to ask my person that I'm coaching, how does procrastination serve you? What about that is actually working for you? Because I, most of the time, most of us do things because they're rational and they make sense to us. And most of the time they're going to work out. So before I try to change something, I want to say, what about what's happening is actually working just perfectly the way it is? I'd say keep going with that strength-based approach and philosophy, even when we're coaching. Thank you, Kathleen, for sharing your wisdom and joining me today to explain this fantastic coaching framework. If you want to learn more about our FUEL model, I included some links to a white paper that Kathleen and Jack wrote and a link to their book, The Extraordinary Coach, as well. I'll also share some links of different coaching products um, for conversations that matter now that Zanger Folkman offers. The 90th Percentile, an unconventional leadership podcast, was written and recorded by Brianna Korn and Kathleen Stinnett and produced by Zanger Folkman. If you're interested in learning more about Zanger Folkman's award-winning 360-degree assessments, leadership, and coaching offerings, or would like to attend monthly leadership webinar series hosted by Jack Zanger and Joe Folkman, visit our website at zangerfolkman.com. If you like our podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher and leave us a review. We really, really, really like reviews. All resources and links to the research referenced in this episode can be found in the episode details or on our podcast page on zangerfolkman.com.